Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Wednesday, September 15th, 2021. Well, if you've been paying attention to any of the local headlines in Boise, Idaho this week, they've been dominated by one thing. President Biden came to town. Now, anytime a sitting president comes to a community, it's a big deal. It's a big deal that the president of the United States is coming to where you live, especially when where you live is not Washington, D.C. It's a, it's a big deal. And the thing is, it's never just a generic president that is coming to town. It's always President so-and-so, in this case, President Biden. And so there are people that are excited and like President Biden and his policies and are so thrilled to see him in their community. And there are those who do not like President Biden, are opposed to his policy, and maybe even will show up not just to welcome him, but to protest his policies and what he is doing. And our headlines have been filled with all kinds of those things this week. And so as we think about what a big deal it is when the president comes to town, I want us to realize no matter who the president is coming to town, it pales in comparison to the significance of Jesus Christ riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And that's what we're going to look at today in Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. And as we look at these verses, we read the familiar story of the triumphal entry, that Jesus is going up to Jerusalem, and ultimately this will be his last trip there. And this trip will end in his crucifixion and not really end with his crucifixion, but results also in his resurrection. But as he rides into town that day, one thing I think that Luke really highlights is the intentionality of everything that is done. How Jesus orchestrates this, sends two of his disciples to get this cult and even instructs them to say, if anyone says, why are you doing this? Instructs them to say, the Lord has need of it. And so it all happens just as it is planned. And one thing that it doesn't mention as much in the Gospel of Luke, but we see other places, is that this was a very clear fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus is not shying away from fulfilling what was spoken that the Messiah would do. And even in our passage, notice at the end what the crowds say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I mean, what an incredible scene. Jesus doesn't say, oh yeah, you're right. This is getting a little over the top. No, Jesus is making no bones about it. As he rides into Jerusalem, he's making clear, I am the king. I am the Messiah that was foretold. And even we see significance again. This is more pulling from other gospels and the prophecies. It's significant that Jesus comes in here on a colt or other places referred to as a donkey. He comes in on kind of a humble 
uh, ride. He, he doesn't ride into town on a war horse. And it reminds us that the mission of Jesus at that time, he was not riding in to overthrow the Romans, to raise an army, and to conquer the world. He was riding into Jerusalem ultimately to die on the cross for our sins and to rise again. Uh, that he is the servant king, the savior king. And that is also what was foretold that he would be, and that is who he was. And we know, we see in Revelation, Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem again, this time on a white horse. And th- this time will, next time will be a different story. But here we see just Jesus riding in, making no bones about it, claiming to be the king, but we see what kind of king he is. He is a servant king. He is the savior king who is ultimately going to come in and sacrifice his own life for his people. Now, let's move on kind of in that similar thought to starting off the book of Hebrews. We're starting not one, but two books of the Bible today. Now, Hebrews We don't know who wrote it. Uh, And again, you've probably heard me say this before, but if you're looking for my hot take on who really wrote the book of Hebrews, it's this. We don't know the book who wrote the book of Hebrews. I think if we could know, we would have figured it out in the last 2000 years. And ultimately, if we haven't figured it out, I don't think it's important. I don't think it's something that God needs us to know. But what does seem clear is that it's written to, well, Hebrews. And even written to Hebrews who seem to have made some profession of faith, uh, some move towards Christ, but are now being tempted to fall back kind of into their old ways, into their old religious system. And I'd say that the broadest way to summarize a lot of what Hebrews is saying is Jesus is better. Uh, Jesus is better than that old system. The new covenant that he offers is better than um, what was provided under the old covenant. And it starts in chapter one, really by making the argument that Jesus is greater. He is better than angels. But look at how the book starts. It says long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So there, just a very grand statement about Jesus Christ, that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. I think these are powerful statements to the deity of Christ and that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. How in the world could that be speaking about anybody but God? But then notice it talks about what he has done after making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That he is now seated at the right hand of God in glory, but his mission was not after he conquered the world. It's no after he made purification for sins. But we get little glimpses of, of that as we get into then all the verses where it starts comparing Christ to the angels and basically saying, when did God ever say this about the angels? Many of these quotes, uh, in fact, most of them are from uh, Messianic Psalms. And as we look at them, we see things like Psalm 2, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or the last quote in verse 13 from Psalm 110, 
where it says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And even in these Psalms, we get a sense of there is a day that is coming where Christ will reign overall. Yes, he is seated at the right hand of Father right, right now, but we see throughout Scripture the idea of Christ is coming back and he will reign on this earth. So, Today, especially in my community, where so much thought has been given to the president coming to town, I want us to think more about Jesus coming to town and how he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on a humble horse because he was there to give his life for the sins of his people and how he will return someday on a war horse, a white horse, and he will reign over all. And I hope as we think about the kingship of Jesus Christ today and the authority that he has, that that would give us peace and resolve. That even as we look out at worldly rulers and we we see the ways we think that they are failing or even ways where very clearly from scripture, they are not um, pursuing justice as God would call them to do, not pursuing what is right as God would call them to do. In, In light of all that, we should have peace and resolve. We should have peace knowing that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, of the majesty on high, as it says here in Hebrews 1, and he will return. And some days all his enemies will be uh, turned into a footstool for his feet, Uh, that he will return and he will reign. And I hope that also gives us a resolve to follow Christ, no matter what is popular in our culture. And even as we think about submitting to our earthly authorities, that should all be done out of really a resolve to honor King Jesus. There will be times where you have to submit to governing authorities in this world. And frankly, you don't like what what the what the authority is is telling you to do. And the reason you will do that is because I'm not really doing this ultimately to them. I'm doing it because I'm committed to King Jesus. And when uh, moments do arise where it's, well, I feel like the, the government is putting me in a position where it's either do what they say or follow King Jesus, I will follow King Jesus. And so as we see the kingship of Christ, may we be filled with peace and resolve today. Let's finish up Psalm 106 today as we look at verses 40 through 48. Here we see what's been a sadder psalm reflecting on more of the failure and the sin of the people of Israel. Well, today we see how it all ends and it speaks really of God's judgment. I think ultimately we would understand this rightly to be fulfilled in the exile. Uh, But then we see even that was not the end. In verse 40, it says, The anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage, and he gave them into the hand of the nations. So there, I think we see that sense of exile, but we see that it is not the end. For in verse 44, it says, Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. And we see ultimately they were restored. They were sent back to uh, Israel and Jerusalem. And we see the cry, save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. May that be a good prayer for us, for our nation, or for Christians even all around the world. Save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from among the nations. May we see revival and may we be the kind of people who continue to pray for it. 
Finally, we start the book of Song of Solomon today. And there's a lot of debate here. A lot of people see, oh, this is actually a picture of God and his love for Israel or God and his love for the church. Uh, But I think it's primarily a picture of a love between a husband and a wife. It's uh, the love of King Solomon for his bride. And there are obviously connections between imageries of husbands and wives and Christ and the church. Ephesians 5 makes that clear, but I don't think that's the main focus of the Song of Solomon. I liked how one commentator put it and said that, you know, there's enough kind of bad examples of sexual intimacy in the Bible. And he gave the reference of Lot and his daughters. Um, Why not have a book that's devoted to a good example of what intimacy should look like within a marriage? And so as we read these first four chapters, you'll notice one phrase that come up throughout the book. And it says, it's kind of this exhortation that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. I think that's a good reminder. Hey, this kind of sexual intimacy, it's reserved for marriage. And we shouldn't stir that up or promote that in places outside of marriage. But also, especially to those of you who are married, I want you to notice the language here. And even though I think uh, this book talks and even gets into the ideas of physical intimacy between husband and wife, notice that's not what it's all about. That there is clearly a love, you might even say a romance here between husband and wife. And there's so many bad ideas about romance in our world promoted in culture and movies and whatever it may be. Why not take a few days and let God speak to us about what real romance should look like? And if you're married, may this renew your resolve to pursue romance and intimacy in all its forms with your spouse. And I hope that encourages you today. But most of all, whatever's going on in the headlines, may we take comfort, may we find peace and resolve from knowing that Jesus is King. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.